Welcome to the Raise Private Money Legally Podcast with your host, Corporate Securities Attorney Kim Lisa Taylor. Kim is a nationally recognized attorney, speaker, and the author of two number one Amazon best-selling books, the latest of which is How to Raise Capital for Real Estate Legally. Kim and her firm, Syndication Attorneys, PLLC, have been responsible for over $2.75 billion in securities offerings. The purpose of this podcast is to introduce you to topics and services you need as your real estate syndication business grows. Whether you're a new syndicator or a seasoned fund manager, this podcast is for you. Information discussed during this free podcast is of a general, educational nature and should not be construed as legal or tax advice. Good morning. Welcome to Syndication Attorneys Month's free monthly teleseminar. Today, we are going to talk about different offering types. Uh, there are four different offering types that we're going to cover. Um, but before we do that, um, Syndication Attorneys is a securities, corporate securities law firm, and we help entrepreneurs create successful investment companies. And the way we do that is we teach you how to go out and confidently raise money and introduce you to services along the way. Um, so it's more than just providing you with legal documents and doing the filings that a lot of other people might do. Um, our goal is to help you gain the confidence so that you can go out and syndicate properties again and again and again. And we have many clients that have done just that, starting from perhaps where you are today, which maybe you've not done anything yet, going on to syndicate 25, 26 properties. So we're happy that you have all taken time out of your busy day today to join us. And it's important for us that you have done that because this is an investment in your financial future, but not just yours, also the financial future that you're going to be able to offer to your investors. So it's just a really important thing that you learn how to do this well and be able to help as many people as you can. So in our calls, we don't focus on getting deals. We focus on finding investors and structuring deals with investors. So let's get right to today's topic. So today, uh, again, the topic is specified, semi-specified, blind pool or segregated offering, which offering type is right for you. So let's start with what is a specified offering? Well, a specified offering is just that. You're buying one thing, okay? It could be real estate. Most often it is. Most of my clients are buying real estate, but it doesn't have to be. It could be some other type of startup company or just some singular purpose. You want to start a restaurant. You want to, you know, build a, a development project. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. But a lot of people are buying um, one. You're buying one thing. So what is the raise going to cover? Well, you need to raise enough money to cover the whole entire cost if you're not going to be getting a bank loan. But if you are going to be getting a bank loan for a portion of it, which is advisable if that's available to you, then you're going to have to cover what the bank won't cover. Now, why is it important that you get a bank loan? Well, it's important to get a bank loan because the bank money is going to be cheaper than your investor money. So your investors are going to demand a little bit higher return than the interest that you might be paying to a bank. So if, if a bank loan is available to you, you'll definitely want to explore that option. Um, if you're buying single family, fix and flip properties or single family even buy and hold, 
there are times that you might consider buying the entire thing by yourself. But usually when you're buying commercial property, you're going to be using a bank loan to leverage a portion of that. So you're raising money then to cover everything else. What is that? That's going to include your down payment, any money that you want to be able to put into the property after you buy it for capital improvements, uh, the closing costs, your due diligence expenses, your legal fees, what you've paid us, what you've paid your real estate attorney, and any acquisition fees that you can pay to yourself. So that's quite a bit of money. So usually if the bank is going to finance 75%, you're probably going to be raising about 33% of that purchase price because you're going to need a little bit more than just that 25% the bank won't finance in order to cover all these other things. So your acquisition costs. So how are you going to do that? Well, when we structure a specified offering, we're going to first set it up so that there's a minimum dollar amount you have to raise before you can use anybody's money. So that minimum dollar amount needs to be the dollar amount that you would absolutely have to raise to be able to close on the property, assuming that you're going to loan some of your own money to the property or whatever other you know financial source, short-term financial source you might have that can get the property closed. You have to be careful here about borrowing money from people because the institutional lender is going to want to know where you got the money that you're using, and they're going to ask for the source of those funds, and they typically, in today's market, will not allow you to have subordinate debt. So you can't necessarily go out and borrow the money from somebody. You know, your parents could give you the money or something like that, and that might be okay, uh, but they don't want to see a promissory note. Is, is what they don't want to see. You also have to be careful about bringing people in as investors short-term because the SEC prohibits you from selling interest, from reselling the interest for more than or for within the first year of operations. So you can, you know, once you have investors in your deal, they are stuck in the deal for at least one year before you could even allow them to transfer their interest for any reason. Uh, so you need to make sure that you're aware of that. So that minimum dollar amount, again, is the amount you need to scrape together your own money and get that thing to the closing table. And so whatever that dollar amount is that you'd have to bring in from investors, that's your minimum dollar amount of your offering. Now, we're also going to ask that you specify a maximum dollar amount of the offering. And the maximum dollar amount is the amount that it's going to be a little bit more than what you actually need to close. Because you want to give yourself a little bit of a contingency. One, in case the closing costs are not exactly what you've calculated, but also in case you get into the property and you learn something new or you find out that there's an unexpected expense, you want to be able to cover that just by raising a little bit more money within your current offering versus if you had already raised the maximum and closed on the property, you would have to get permission from your investors and complete, do a completely new securities offering for that. Or you'd have to do a capital call from your investors, and that's not necessarily a good thing to do, uh, especially right after you've gotten into a property. So we like you to give yourself a little bit of a cushion. So you're going to really calculate when you're figuring out how much money you need to raise, what's that minimum dollar amount? What's the amount that I, I need to be able to cover all of my expenses and pay myself back for anything I put out of pocket um, plus, and plus pay my acquisition fees? And then 
what is the, you know, I'll give myself a little cushion beyond that. What kind of a cushion might I want to have? A couple hundred thousand dollars maybe uh, that I'd be able to raise if needed. All right. So when can you use the money that you raise for a specified offering? Well, in the offerings that we write, we typically say that you have up to 90 days to raise the minimum dollar amount and uh, or uh, such time as the property is no longer under contract, whichever is later. And the reason that we do that is that sometimes our clients will get extensions on their contracts, on that purchase contract, and that will you know, sometimes exceed that 90-day time period. So we want you to be able to extend that minimum uh, dollar amount out until you've at least either closed on the property or, or 90 days, whichever uh, is later. So, so that's your 90 days to break, and that's called breaking impounds. When you actually uh, get to that minimum dollar amount and you're able to use the money to close on the property, that's called breaking impounds. Now, could you use the money before you get to the closing table? Could you use investor money? What if you raise the minimum dollar amount and then were able to, uh, you know, you hadn't gotten to the closing table yet, you still had another month to go, could you start paying yourself back for due diligence fees and your deposits and legal fees and all those things? Not recommended, not recommended at all, because if you don't, there's there's two things. If you either don't reach the minimum, then you have to give everybody's money back without deduction. So you can't use anybody's money before you ever reach the minimum. But if you reach the minimum and you use people's money and then you don't close, then what? All right. So legally, you might be okay but uh, practically, you're probably not going to be in the syndication business very long. That's going to quickly get around to investors that you didn't give all their money back and you didn't close on the property and uh, you're not going to be in business. Why is that? Well, you have to put some skin in the game. Everybody's heard that term. And your skin in the game is the money that you're putting up for the due diligence, the deposit, the, uh, you know, the legal fees and the extension fees. All of those things that you're putting out of pocket, if you don't close on that property, that is your risk. And so you have to close on the property in order to be able to get reimbursed for those things. So don't ever plan on using investor money before you get the property to the closing table if you're doing a specified offering. Because if you don't get it there, you need to give that money back. Um, All right, then what about this maximum dollar amount? So what if you only raise just that minimum dollar amount, but you didn't give yourself enough, you know, you don't have enough, you have enough to close and you're going to close, but you don't have enough to pay yourself back. Well, you can continue raising money after closing up to the maximum dollar amount. And we usually give you up to one year from when you start your offering to raise up to that maximum dollar amount. The reason that we only give you up to one year is that if you're raising money for more than a year, then we need to refile your uh, securities notices with the Securities and Exchange Commission and let them know that you're still out there raising money. Um, If you had to reopen your offering after that one-year period, at that point, you would have to go to your investors and get their permission, but you have to start by asking them to put up the money in a capital call. All right, so what kind of structure do we use for a specified offering? Well, you're going to have the... uh, Invest, we call it the investor LLC. That's usually going to be a manager-managed LLC that's going to 
sell off interest to investors. In a specified offering, in most cases, that LLC is going to take title to the actual property. Uh, that company, since it's manager-managed, is also going to have a manager. Well, the manager itself, we want to be another LLC. And that's just to give you some added protection, you and your management team, some added protection in case there was ever a lawsuit between the manager and the investors. But also, in case there's a change in people involved in management, then you wouldn't have to involve your investors in making that decision or uh, helping you make that decision. You can contain that all within the manager LLC. And as long as the manager LLC itself stays intact and remains as the manager of the company, then then there's no harm to the investors. There are some cases where some lenders, once you get over a certain dollar amount, once your loan balance becomes $10 million or more, that the lender will actually require you to form a subsidiary title-holding entity. And its sole purpose is called a single-purpose entity. Its sole purpose is to take title to the property and become the borrower on the bank loan. And the reason that the lender wants you to do that is called a bankruptcy remote entity. So in case your investor LLC tank and uh, you had to declare bankruptcy at that level, it wouldn't affect the, the lender and the bank loan. And then in some cases, they may uh, have some takeover rights on that subsidiary entity in the event of a foreclosure. So that's sometimes a requirement. What kind of offering documents do you need for a specified offering? Well, you're going to usually have a private placement memorandum. So that's your disclosure document describing the offering and the risks of the offering to your investors. You're going to have an operating agreement for that investor LLC. You'll have a subscription agreement that that's where the investors tell you that they meet the qualifications for your securities exemption and are entitled to invest. And then other exhibits that you create. Well, one of the most important exhibits that you're going to create for a specified offering is going to be a property package. That property package is uh, where you describe the property and you put your projections in there. You describe what the acquisition costs are. You describe what your capital improvements uh, you plan for the property and what kind of exit strategies you're looking at and how long you plan to keep it. So that property package is something that you're going to generate and give to us as we're preparing to write your offering document. Um, the uh, other thing that goes into a securities offering are the securities notice filings, and those are required in order to preserve your exemption. So um, people that do their own documents, you know, try to try to draft their own documents or get somebody else's and copy and paste, they don't necessarily realize that you also have to do these securities notice filings. And these filings have deadlines. They are required to be filed usually within 15 days of when an investor's money becomes irrevocably contractually committed. So what does that mean? Well, certainly by the time you close on the property and you use their money to close on the property, it has become irrevocably contractually committed. So um, the filings, we have to do filings with the SEC, something called a Form D, and then we also have to do filings with the state securities agencies. Uh, what are the investor benefits for a specified offering? Well, they can drive by, they can look on Google, they can see the property, they can see it's a real thing. 
Uh, you know, they can visit the property. And a lot of investors really like the fact that they're investing in a specific property and they choose which property they want to invest in. All right. So let's go on to some different structure types. Uh, the next the next thing is going to be a blind pool. Right. So we talked about a specified offering. Now we're going to talk about a blind pool. What's that? Well, a blind pool securities offering is really just where you're, you have the very similar offering documents, but you're not buying a specific property. You don't have anything under contract right now. You have a business plan, or we call it an investment summary, that describes what kind of properties you're going to invest in. So you would talk about the um, types of properties that you're investing in, the their geographic location, what kind of parameters. Maybe you're looking for properties that have 100 to 300 units in the you know central United States, uh, something like that. So you're going to describe all of that. And then you're going to have biographies of your team. You'll talk about who your team is and what kind of experience they have. And then you should also be providing a track record because usually you're not going to have much success doing a blind pool offering until you have some experience with some specified offerings with the same kind of property. Those are the blind pool offerings that are most successful. Um, so if you were going to do a blind pool, then you would create, as far as your structure of the actual company, you would have this investor uh, investor LLC again. And so, again, that's going to be manager-managed, and that's where you're going to sell off interest to investors and keep a portion of it for the management team. Then you're going to have a manager LLC, same reasons we said before, um, but in this case, you will take title to the properties at the subsidiary level. So every time you get a property under contract, you'll create a new subsidiary, single-purpose entity that will uh, be formed specifically to take title to that individual property and will get the bank loan on that property. And that will be required because the bank isn't going to allow you to co-mingle you know, their loan in, in your investor LLC. So you, you could have uh, – and so a typical blind pool – you'll raise, you know, a minimum dollar amount would be the amount you'd raise to acquire the, you know, one property. So you kind of know what kind of size properties you're going to, you're going to get. Um, and then the maximum dollar amount would be the amount maybe that you would need to buy five of those properties. So that's typically how a blind pool will work. It's not necessarily going to be open-ended so you can buy, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of properties it's usually going to have some finite purpose and your, your, your investment summary is going to describe that you know, you're going to buy you know, three to five or five to seven of these properties with that maximum dollar amount that you hope to raise. Um, so the offering documents, you're still going to have the private placement memorandum. You're still going to have an operating agreement for your investor LLC. You'll still have a subscription agreement. But instead of having a property package for a specific property, you're going to draft that investment summary. Now, you can either draft those yourself. Um, and if you want to do that, on our website is an article called How to Write an Investment Summary for a Blind Pool Offering. So I encourage you to get that. It gives you the outline of what that should include. Or you can hire us and we can write those 
for you, and we do that for a number of our clients. Um, what are the investor benefits? Well, the investor benefits for a blind pool is that there's diversity. You know, if you're going to buy five properties instead of just one, if one of those properties isn't performing or maybe it's a repositioning project, so there's going to be some period of time before it's cash flowing, then maybe you have some other properties that are offsetting that. And so it's not going to create a hardship for your investors where they have to wait a very long time before the property begins to produce, like could happen with a specified offering. All right. So what's the next type we could look at? It's something called a semi-specified offering. And that's really a hybrid between the blind pool and a specified offering. So instead of having a blind pool where the only thing you have is your investment summary describing what you're going to do, in this case, you actually have one property under contract right now. So you have one property under contract, but instead of doing it like a specified offering where you just raise money for one deal and close the offering, you're actually going to say you'll also have, you'll have a property package for that property, but additionally, you're going to write that investment summary just like you would for a blind pool that says, this is the, you know, these are the properties we're going to buy, this is the first one, and this is what we're raising money for right now, and then we plan to buy three or four more, and uh, that's going to complete our semi-specified offering. Um, investor benefits for that one are going to be the same as for the blind pool. You know, you potentially have diversity, but there's a risk in the semi-specified offering that you may never buy any other properties because something could change. And that actually happened to me and uh, my husband. We bought property in Ohio right before 2008, and, it, you know, it was we planned to buy three different properties in that area, Ultimately, we ended up only buying one, and then we decided not to, you know, we couldn't get any loans to buy any other properties at that time and decided not to buy any more properties in that area. So, you know, it is a risk, and you need to consider that. Um, all right, so what is the fourth type? The fourth type is what's called a segregated offering, and that's where we go ahead and we write that investment summary and say, these are the kinds of properties that we want to buy, Um and then we go ahead and write what we call a master PPM. It's a, it has the risks for that property type, but you're not going to raise money until you get a property under contract. And at that time, we would create a separate offering package just for that specific property. So in this case, you kind of have your structure in place, except that we're going to form the LLC when you get the first property under contract or form that investor LLC. And at that point, we would prepare a supplement to the private placement memorandum that's specific to that deal, describing how the money is going to be used just for that deal and what kind of returns you're offering just for that deal. Um, the subscription agreement would be just for that deal and the securities notice filings would be just for that deal. So you can have separate properties, separate investors, and you're just raising money as you need it on a specific property. And so investor benefits here, you know, you're back to, it's really just a series of specified offerings. So um, instead of having that blind pool where you've got every, you know, in a blind pool, the, the investors invest in the company and the company owns multiple properties. 
just think of it like Apple. You know, you invest in Apple. You don't own, you know, just stock in iPhones. You own stock in all of the products that Apple produces. So that's kind of what the blind pool structure emulates in the segregated or the uh, specified offering, you are actually offering interest in an individual property to your investors. Uh, if you want to call us, you can call one eight four four syndicate, and you can look up those uh, letters on your phone seven nine six three four two eight, and you can speak to either Charlene or me or Robert Bohr, uh at that number. Or you can go to our website at syndicationattorneys.com. There are a lot of articles on our website that you can download for free. And uh, then I assume that most of you have signed up at some point or on our mailing list uh, so that you can get on these calls and and you can get our newsletters. So, um, all right. Well, with that, we're going to go ahead and close the call today. And I thank you all very much for taking time out of your busy day and listening. We will make this recorded call available. And we'll send it out to everybody. And then also, I believe if you are a member, you can see, if you go on our website and sign up to be a member, then you can see the previous recorded calls as well. So thanks a lot. And we look forward to uh, talking to each and every one of you whenever you have questions for us. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Raise Private Money Legally podcast with your host, securities attorney Kim Lisa Taylor. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Syndication Attorneys PLLC is a law firm that provides syndication and fund documents, offers commercial real estate transactional services, and creates professionally designed investor marketing materials for capital raising clients nationwide. Visit syndicationattorneys.com to schedule an appointment and sign up to get a copy of our latest book, How to Raise Capital for Real Estate Legally, the only guide you need to raise private money legally for real estate funds and syndications.